Hey everybody, welcome to School of the Rock, a podcast about faith, culture, and evangelization. My name is Father Bobby Blood, and as always, I'm here with the Nicholas Sintovich. Nick, what's up, brother? Another week, another dollar, Father. That almost rhymed, Dude. but it, it's so Another day with the Lord. As a you think it's going to rhyme, it just doesn't rhyme. Especially because you're such a poetic guy. I usually just say, man, this guy over here, what a poet. Right. My middle name is Keats. My parents knew from a very young age. I thought it was E.E. E. Cummings. It is, it's Keats. Uh, I was either I was either going to be a poet or I was going to be in like the Scripps National Spelling Bee. Porque no los dos, as they say. Right. I, I got out in a very early round in my spelling in, in, high, in high school or grade school. For our, you know, Dude. we had like the spelling bee. Eleven is a hard word to spell. Eleven is a hard word to spell. Uh, Eleven's a hard word. Commission is a hard word. Uh, you know, how many M's and are there two S's? It's been really hard. But I've been reflecting. Well, I've if, been you reflecting. Want to, if, if you want to talk through that, I'm here for you. I just want you to know that. Right. That, that well, core wound. Right. Well, <laughs> Maybe we should also introduce our guest. So for the second week in a row, so. for the second week in a row, we're very happy to have Amy Mullen. Amy, welcome back. Thanks, Nick. It's great to be here. I'm so glad you came back. You agreed after after the first episode was such a rating smash. People, <laughs> our, our phones were blowing up. We had the switchboard. People wouldn't stop connecting us to fans and so we like, they we're gonna have Amy back. Too. The, the people on the switchboard you thought they, they left in the 1970s oh no 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 they're working on the podcast realm now that's right amazing that's how but forward thinking the podcast medium is is that we still have a switchboard speaking of technology right we're still in the pseudo quarantine era of our lives hopefully the only one uh and we've all enjoyed i think uh, a great use of media, television. I, I like to use the proper title, television. It's more inviting uh, than TV. Uh, what what has uh, gotten you excited? What have you been zoning uh, out on recently, guys? During this quarantine time, we gotta. We're we're almost making recommendations at the beginning, but you know, whatever. You know. Go ahead, Amy. Guess first. I wish that I was more cultured, but after the kids' bedtime, I have to study. <laughs> so I haven't been watching much ever since like two weeks ago, but before that, there was Shark Week. That was a huge thing, which I don't know. This might be controversial, but I don't think it was as good this year as in previous years. Wow, hot take. Mm. Maybe it's just because Tiger King was so good. You've already <laughs> fulfilled your animal uh, needs. I think you. you nailed it, Father, right mm. on the money. That's it. Mm. Yeah. Tiger King forever. Father, also what are you watching right now? <laughs> um, right now, actually, you've inspired me because I know that you began watching New Girl for the first time, and so I have revisited it. Um, I also love, uh, sorry to admit it, uh, garbage reality TV, Big Brother is back. Uh, it's all-star season. Um, I've started dabbling in Survivor, going back to the early seasons. Um, we're just doing a little throwback uh, on the old Amazon Prime. You know, I'll say that again. Amazon Prime, if you'd like to donate to me, uh, please do. 
<laughs> You've been watching Big Brother longer than as as long as I've known you. So at least for or at least as long as I've known you well, so for at least the last eight or nine years, you're you've been a big Big Brother guy. Yeah, and CBS All Access, you can go back and watch all the seasons again. Plug, plug. Uh, right. You know. I heard they're going to start a, a Big show. Brother Rectory edition where it's just like clerics walking around and like you know ordering Subway and then burning toasts and and yeah and not saying that's basically to each other. That's basically all the media I I produce right now. It's just uh, we're gonna have uh, cameras all over, so you watch it twenty four seven. You're like, oh, father's praying daytime prayer. It really just draws you in, <laughs> right? Well, maybe 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 the office then could be the Big Brother because that's where all the drama is, right? That's true. Yeah. No, I think I think that'd be fitting. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, like you said, I, I'm watching New Girl. So for the first time. My my roommate Michael and I are watching New Girl together, and uh, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan so far. It's pretty funny. It's, it's really funny. funny. I'm show. pro. We, we, I went through different phases during quarantine. There was the mafia phase, watching all the Godfathers. Then there was the '80s phase, watching Sixteen Candles and Breakfast Club. Uh, and I want to say there was one more. I can't remember. Watch Fletch, and uh, so now I'm in the TV show phase. We I, we go through phases, but that's not as important as our topics at hand. So Amy, you had said in our last episode, you talked a little bit about the fact that you're in a program for a degree in healthcare mission leadership. Could you kind of go through a little bit of what healthcare mission leadership is, what some of the the questions that come up uh, in Catholic healthcare, and then we'll kind of have maybe a discussion about that and, and you know how we can make that practical for our own lives. Yeah, absolutely. So Catholic healthcare mission leadership is a relatively newer field of study. Um, when we think of Catholic healthcare in the United States, I think oftentimes we'll think of like the founding sisters who came over, you know, migrated from Europe and and started, you know, caring for the, the poor and the sick here in the States. And so many of our Catholic healthcare organizations really were founded by these sisters, you know, who had a heart for the poor, who had a heart for God's people and really wanted to serve during those difficult times um, of disease in the late, you know, 19th century, early 20th century. And so our healthcare systems, our Catholic healthcare systems largely are founded by these sisters. And they, for so many decades, you know, have been those who, you know, carry the torch and the heritage and the, the founding values of, you know, Catholic identity in these organizations. So in more recent years, this this field has emerged as those orders, um, you know, start to dwindle a little bit and aren't as present necessarily in that apostolate in Catholic healthcare. Um, there are still, you know, sisters who serve in, in a variety of roles, whether it's in administration or still in nursing um, in Catholic healthcare, but there is a need, an emerging need for kind of content experts in, in theology and Catholic identity, ethics, you know, Catholic moral theology, where it intersects with healthcare, because as we know, there's, you know, different, um, situations and different, um, ways that, when we serve in Catholic healthcare, we need to make sure that that integrity of identity is upheld. So that's kind of a, in a nutshell, there's different competencies, uh, like I mentioned, theology, spirituality, ethics, um, 
business management, um, different things like that, that all intersect in the role of a healthcare mission leader. So with sort of the, the emerging need of this, I don't know if you want to say new discipline or sort of recently developed discipline, what do you see as your role in that? Or what are some of the issues that um, you're passionate about? Because it really does seem like there's a need to, to understand, you know, in a very practical way, how, how can we put into practice what the great teachings of the church are uh, in, in an area that's so delicate and important and you're dealing with the most vulnerable? So what, what are you passionate about in that sphere? Definitely. I think recently one of the aspects of the work that has really caught my attention is the the social determinants of health, meaning the different aspects of one's, you know, environments or, um, you know, how they experience life that kind of impact their experience, you know, whether it's, you know, poverty, um, lack of access to health care, uh, hunger, you know, all these these issues that really impact their day to day. And the reason why this is important in, in the Catholic healthcare realm is healthcare is one of those um, fields that really encounters all walks of life. You know, like everyone needs care to some degree at some point. Everyone finds themselves, for the most part, being a patient at one point. And so um, we serve all who come to us. And I think that's one thing that makes Catholic healthcare really special is like people aren't turned away if they don't have healthcare coverage necessarily. So it's a beautiful ministry and Catholic healthcare is, is called that. It's called a ministry of the church. It's, it's under those auspices. You know, if we go up the line of hierarchy between like me and Father Blood of like our bosses to their bosses to their bosses, like we'll both end up at the Pope, which is really cool, you know, um, that that Catholic healthcare truly strives to embody and incarnate those, those values of the Catholic church. And so um, because we intersect with so many people and really serve um, – all walks of life, the, the human issues become the issues of Catholic healthcare. We we strive to respond to those not only on a personal level, but organizationally. And I think that's a really cool aspect of mission work as well is organizational ethics, making sure that not only are our patients served um, with care and love and respect and dignity, but also like are our employees served with care and dignity, the dignity of the worker, you know, one of those um CST principles, Catholic social teaching principles. So all of that is kind of in the wheelhouse of a mission leader. There's a lot, they have their hands in a lot of areas, you know, to ensure that if, if there's questions regarding those intersections of, of Catholic moral theology, that they can be present to, at the table to respond, provide insight, recommendations, things like that. And I think it's interesting even just to look at, you know, depending on what community you're in, there might be specific needs um, that the church might need to notice and maybe equip the troops to take care of. Like even, you know, it seems my parish is in the middle of all the nursing homes and mm -hmm. hospitals. Uh, they're all kind of right here, but it's amazing. Each place has their own sort of flavor, their own sort of strengths and weaknesses. And, and you can see uh, maybe where um, people seem a little tired, to be honest. They just realize they have been um, 
maybe trying their best to care for the people in front of them, but maybe they don't have the resources or they don't have the manpower. And so they're working way too many hours. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's unique uh, to look at each community and just say like that each, you know, hospital system, what have you, um, very specifically, um, could use the tender love and care of Holy mother church. If we could learn to, to notice and speak about some of these principles you're referencing. Definitely. Yeah. I think when people think of Catholic healthcare, often it's, you know, end of life, beginning of life issues. That's a big hot topic in, in ethics. Um, that's a huge one. And I think a very important one to get right, you know, in, in every instance, but there's so many other, you know, topics that also interact with the dignity of the human person and, and the common good. And Father, like you were mentioning, every community has their own unique needs. Something that's really awesome about Catholic healthcare systems as nonprofits is every couple of years, they'll do a survey of communities to really get a sense of what are those social determinants of health that really impact this specific population with the intention of then taking that data um, and turning it around to create plans to give back to the community, to create programs to really help the community to thrive and to make opportunities for the dignity of each and every human person in the community to be upheld. And Amy, it sounds like that, you know, this is something obviously because you're in the field that you're really passionate about. Um, but what's something that you kind of see in, in Rockford? And I don't want to, I'm going to ask you the question, but I'm also going to give one of my own thoughts is that in Rockford, it kind of seems there are a lot of areas that, you know, the communities don't have access to a lot of fresh food, you know, whatever. I think food deserts is the, is the term of choice. You know, I was going, I was on my way home today and I was thinking, okay, I could go to Walmart. I could go to Target. I could go to Aldi. I could go to, um, you know, I could go to Trader Joe's if I really wanted to. And I, I can think of parts of Rockford where they don't have that. So, you know, to get practical to the city that you and Father Bled live in, what do you think are some of the challenges that Rockford faces? Yeah, for sure. So from our last community health needs assessment, one of the biggest areas of need um, is mental health. And I think that mental and behavioral health, I think that really intersects with a lot of these issues. You know, you think of the hierarchy of needs and if those basic needs of human life are not met, um, that really takes a toll on, on our mental state and our behaviors. Um, so there's that there's, you know, just healthy behaviors emerged as a theme, whether it's, you know, lack of access to food, um, lack of access to modalities of exercise or not feeling safe enough in your neighborhood to exercise, even if it's just walking outside. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of things I think impacted by poverty and, and lack of access to those things that meet our, our basic human needs. Yeah. When I first got here to the parish, I think one of the the institutions that kind of provided healthcare for for those who uh, might not be able to financially afford a lot of help closed. And so, I mean, the first month or two I was here, it was like every other day somebody came in and, um, you know, we, we listen the best we can, but I think you guys know in particular, you know, I'm not equipped um, in a lot of ways. Um, so I, you just do your best to love them, but you wish there were a way or a channel by which I could direct them towards something right but it's hard even to find you know and me I'm, I'm 
pretty well connected in town. I've, I've got a lot of resources, but even me, it's hard for me to find the right resources for people. Imagine how hard it is for them. Maybe they don't even have internet access, right? For sure. It's difficult. Yeah. Access to to care is a big deal. It really is. And I think, you know, there's different health system configurations in different nations. And, and I think a lot of us are aware that the United States isn't, you know, healthcare for all, you know, if you will. And some, some countries, you know, have those resources that don't have that steep of a challenge with, with access to care. And so that really does impact outcomes in a huge way for folks um, who, for whatever reason, um, there's a lot of different reasons they might not have access to care. Um, but it really does, you know, it can spiral and impact other health issues and just compound, which is really challenging um, and really tough. If we wanted to transition for a moment to talk about how this can be something that we can integrate into our own lives, you know, off mic, we were kind of talking about the way in which that. I think in our American Catholic lens, we tend to view things in the same way that we view a political lens, that you're either a Democrat or a Republican or you're, you know, liturgically or theologically liberal or conservative. And oftentimes the two things, the two, you know, the dichotomy, they follow on the same lines. And that's really not the perspective of the church necessarily, that when you look through the body of Catholic social teaching, it's going to challenge each and every one of us in our probably um, natural inclinations or where we're more inclined to based on how we grew up or what we were influenced by. So um, for Amy and for Father Blood, what do you think the ways we can cut against, you know, just thinking like a Republican or just thinking like a Democrat when we, when we approach Catholic social teaching and first think as a Catholic and then let that inform everything else. Obviously that's a big, that's a big question to ask, but. It is. It's a big question. It's a great question. I think, yeah, we all experience this degree of, of polarization, you know, this or that, but not necessarily the intermingling of the two. And I know for me being raised, um, I think more so, you know, on the, the spiritual side of, of theology, not necessarily being exposed to a lot of these issues at a young age. I grew up in a well-to-do community and was very sheltered. I'm just going to call it like it is. Um, I didn't really see a lot of, of poverty where I lived. And so for me, learning about Catholic social teaching uh, more in depth, you know, it, starting in my undergrad and most recently in this program I'm in now uh, was really like kind of a reconversion. I mean, we're, we're converting every day, you know, in different, different areas and different aspects. But for me, it was just opening my eyes to the reality that if I want to be like Christ, I can't ignore these issues. And I think there, there's a challenge to, to really wed, wed both, you know, being um, aware of social issues and also being, you know, cultivating a very deep spiritual life. I, I think to not do both is kind of fragmented and that, that brings me back to this quote I've been reflecting on for a couple of years from Pope Benedict, Pope Emeritus Benedict the Sixteenth, who um, in Deus Caritas Est, his encyclical God is Love, he writes that a, a Eucharist, which does not translate into a concrete uh, practice of love, is intrinsically fragmented. 
And when I read that for the first time, I had to like pause and reread it. And be like, that's a really big, bold statement. And it stopped me in my tracks. And I had never really heard anyone really talk about that and kind of break down what that means until this program that I'm in now. One of my professors actually dove deep into that. And I was like, yeah, like, that's a big deal. Like, we need to talk about this issue. Um, And so I'm not saying like a concrete practice of love necessarily means like you have to care about Catholic social teaching or Catholic social thought. But I think it it could, you know, it it could challenge us to, to think of those who are um, up against some of these challenges to, to think about humanity and in, in a sense of solidarity, to think about the common good and not just, you know, looking out for ourselves, looking out for number one. Yeah. And I think first and foremost, it's, I think it's difficult for some people because when they hear the phrase Catholic social teaching, they might turn off for a host of reasons. One, you know, some folks might say, oh, that's like hippy dippy leftist uh, stuff. Other people might just say it's too lofty. It's too confusing. But like for me, I think where this engagement has to take place is in the individual. And this is like a soapbox I jump up on all the time. But like this is this is how it's come to make sense in my own heart is when we look at um, what are what are the ways by the which the church is really living out the corporal and spiritual works of mercy? Uh, it's with the individual. And so we can talk about the common good as far as a principle, and we can talk about subsidiarity, all beautiful things and, and worth study uh, for sure. But where do most people engage with that? Well, I think it has to happen first and foremost with uh, another person in front of you. And I think that's where I've had to face that that false dichotomy that we place on ourselves as Americans to say, well, I was raised right wing, so I believe this thing, or I was raised left wing, so I believe that thing. But instead just to say, I'm encountering a human person in front of me. Uh, what do I do about it? Right, and invite the Lord into that position to be able to say, not what would Jesus do, but what is Jesus calling you to do in this moment? Um, this sort of engagement with the individual that allows us to inform how do we look at an entire society. Uh, so it's a difficult one. And I think it's hard. If I had to maybe take the first jump, it would be um, to just try and listen with fresh ears uh, to those who are hurting. Um, because it's easy to quickly form opinions um, and write off their emotions because of our own experiences or preconceived notions. But to be able to hear the person, even if you think their experience is exaggerated or not founded, uh, that's a human person who Christ deeply loves, who is speaking to you something that is um, uh, raw for them. And so, as we kind of jump into these principles, just realizing we're talking about real people. I agree a hundred percent. And I, I had a situation this weekend, my sister and I were going to Hy-Vee to pick up some lunch and there was a man outside of Hy-Vee. This is in DeKalb. And there was a man outside of a Hy-Vee who um, I, we stopped and we had a little conversation with and it was kind of amazing because, you know, a lot of times in my head when I hear Pope Francis talk about like the culture of encounter and there's almost, a, there's almost in my head a romanticization about working with the poor, about like how it's going to be like so great and it's going to be this really moving and touching experience. But I'm like, as soon as I started this conversation with this man and like we offered him like a gift card, um, I was already ready to be like, okay, well, I, I did like my thing. I did like the encounter thing and now I'm ready to go and I don't really... I don't really have time for his story. And it really, 
it challenged me to be like, it's kind of what you're saying that to what is the Lord calling me to do in this individual moment and, and to encounter this individual, because it's, it's easy for like kind of how we've been talking about it to think about Catholic social teaching in our heads and, 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 and what does it mean on a very broad scale? But then sometimes when you encounter a situation, it's a lot messier and it's a lot, less comforting than it might live in our head. And I think that situation for me was, was exactly that. Um, and I'm not saying I, I always do the right thing or have a perfect response even then or now, but. And you definitely like, don't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I didn't ask you. <laughs> no, Nick, you bring up a really, really good point because with these principles uh, and these topics, it's, it's easy to like learn head knowledge, you know, to learn the theoretical, like this, if someone were to ask me, like, this is what I would say. But then like the next step to the practical, which in this realm is clearly the most important, that's the most challenging. And um, that brings me to this book that I read for class by Bernard V. Brady, it's called Essential Catholic Social Thought. And Typically with like books, you know, about theology, I really like theology. I've studied it for years, but I wouldn't describe all of the things that I've had to read for school as like page turners, you know, like it's dense stuff and you have to like sit with things. But this book I like could not get enough of. And something that Brady talks about is the different spheres of Catholic social thought and like how we implement them. So on a personal level, we like we're not all called to be like activists in this realm to like bring about political change necessarily, or like be out advocating for, for social change, but we are each called to discern our own role, kind of like you're both saying. And so he describes the first sphere as, as works of mercy and justice, like you were saying, father, the second sphere as public expression and personal commitment. So, you know, when you start talking about it with others, when you start expressing that you are, you know, committed to this, and then the third sphere being social analysis for social change. So we're not all called to be just radically, you know, bringing about change in this realm, but we are all called to ask, you know, what would Jesus have me do in response to these issues? Because it can be overwhelming. You know, there's so many hard issues to address. There's so many, so much suffering, so much difficulty. Um, it's, it's hard to know exactly what am I called to do? Yeah. This, I don't know if there's an answer to this question, but I think at least amongst young people, it feels like right now, everyone feels like um, they have an obligation to feel everything. Like mm. there's so much pain, right? But but then there's the other end of the spectrum where it's easy to just become numb mm-hmm. to the pain that's around us and just kind of avoid the fact that there are discrepancies, you know, socioeconomic, like real divisions in our own city. The fact that there's still the difficulty of systematic racism and the own racism that we carry in our own hearts because of our culture, right? So there's this this crazy dichotomy where you know some people feel pressured they have to feel and just be zealous about every issue and then there's the other side that maybe sometimes just kind of numbs themselves to the rather that there is real suffering how do we discern that balance of uh, engaging with these things in, in reality I, I think part of it is like a gut check and some sort of of reflection on on our uh 
on, you know, I guess on how we're responding to, to God's grace in our lives. And Amy, you had kind of mentioned uh, before we started an examination of conscience. And I think that's always something I'm trying to go back to about, you know, how am I responding to God's grace in my life this particular day? Who did I encounter? How did, how did I respond? How did I, how did I feel about how I responded? And, you know, how might God be, be, you know, calling me to respond differently in the future. Um, and I think that's got to be part of it, right? Um, is, is to be able to, to reflect it and see where we are and see where God is calling us uh, to, which is not an easy thing to do, but it's an extremely small way, I think, in which we can, we can, we can kind of check our gut to a certain extent. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, you know, Father, going to, to what you're saying about like feeling all the things, which in the current climate, like there's just a lot of things to feel like it's, it's heavy. I think today and yesterday, um, in particular ways, I've just been feeling just weary, you know, of, of all that's going on in the world and, and just that fatigue, you know, the, the COVID fatigue is setting in because that's just, you know, one layer of everything that we're experiencing now, but there's just layer upon layer upon layer of, things happening in the world that are difficult to wrestle with. And you can't look away like it's, it's there. And, and I think one of the beautiful things about 2020 is it does feel like a call to conversion in a lot of ways. You know, we are, we are forced to look at these things dead on and, and respond in some way. And I think like you're saying, father, like there's one, one thing to, to suppress and to, to try to stifle it and not feel and not acknowledge Um, And then the other extreme is to just feel everything. And I think something I've been thinking about lately is um, just how much the father's heart aches for his people. And, and as the body of Christ, as the church, like we, we feel that as well um, as his body, you know, and just entering into that to a degree that um, is holy, you know, how we love others as the father loves, you know, entering into it to a degree that doesn't just totally destroy us and like make us incapable of action or paralyze us, but to feel it and, and then take that to prayer to, to say, Lord, this is what's happening. Um, What would you have me do with this personally? And whether that's even just, facilitating conversations with family members, um, even if it's difficult or whether it's just kind of expanding our social sphere or situation to be more inclusive, um, or more open to perspectives that aren't necessarily ours. I think there's such a focus these days on like needing to be right when really it should be needing to just love the person in front of us. I think there's an opportunity there, in all of this as well. Yeah. And I had a priest in the seminary who used to say, you know, uh, men love as you can, not as you can't. And it was just such a reminder to us that um, at certain times in our life, we're called to certain kinds of love. And so even realizing our own role, like what's our place, like my place as an associate at the parish is different than yours, Amy and, and work with healthcare. And as a mother, Nick, whatever you do. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it, it is a unique call to each of us to, to be able to engage with 
what's the best way that I can really care for the person in front of me? Um, and I think that's a beautiful invitation, a daunting invitation, but I think it's one uh, worth facing. And in one small way that I think uh, you guys know this, I am not what one would call a scholar. Um, but one thing that I've appreciated is when these issues or these kind of like painful realities rise up, whether it's on social media or in our own communities or our own families, uh, being able to read, to delve into what does the church actually say? Like the, the, the blog warriors just drive me nuts because it doesn't allow for real conversation and real learning. And so I think against my grain, I'd have to say like one way I felt the Lord calling me to love is actually to take the time to, to enter into to learning about uh, cultures and difficulties that are not my own um, so that I can not do anything with it. The Lord is not in any particular way calling me you know, out on the street to do certain things, but what he is calling me to is a, a unique intercessory, right? Learning um, to understand another and then bring them to the foot of the cross where I like to go at the end of the day. Um, but it's, a, it's just such a beautiful, unique call for each of us to engage with the needs around us. I think that's a perfect place to stop engaging with the needs of those around us. Well, we can't stop without going through our weekly recommendation and we've had a lot of guests do recommendations this season, but we're going to bring it back to father blood. What do you got for us? Um, I would say that my recommendation for this week is uh, prepare for the fall. Um, not like uh, the spiritual fall, but the beautiful season that is autumn. Uh, pumpkin drinks are back, and I've been enjoying them all week. Um, it also was a little cooler today. I pulled out a nice hoodie, uh, which is my jam. Um, there's a, a drive-in theater that's going to be open during the fall, the town next to us. The fall events are starting, right? Obviously, we'd be safe. We social distance and wear our masks and all that good business, but definitely uh, lean into the fact that the season's changing, and I got a lot of hope, a lot of hope, folks, for uh, what's about to come. So make some plans. Include, including the Packers 2020-2021 season. And hopefully a winning fantasy football team, you know? Ooh. Yeah. yeah. But the, the fall, do you have a favorite fall activity, Amy? I love going to the Apple Orchard, which now has a drive through pickup. Curbside. Thing. If you go out west, St. <laughs> oh, Edward's yeah. West is still open. Don't worry, everybody. St. Edward's West. Wait. Not St. Edward's. <laughs> you led me astray. I, I'm a Catholic priest. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You got to get those apple cider donuts. So true. Nick, you got a favorite fall thing? I don't have a. I don't really have a favorite fall thing. I. I mean, I like. I like going for a fall hike you know, with, with the trees at a different color. Cause there's something about a summer hike or a spring hike or a walk. That's great. But a fall hike has a little, I don't know, maybe it's just less stress because it's cool. The air is cool and it's crisp and you can wear a sweatshirt. I'm, I, I love sweatshirts and sweaters. And so I just think the, the tradition of putting on a, a sweatshirt or a hoodie and going outside, um, that, that's how I enter into fall, I guess. You, you should get me a, a, a hoodie with our, podcast logo on it for fall for a fall present an autumnal <laughs> present if you will maybe we, maybe we could crowdsource that if anybody has a, yeah. has a t-shirt press company and they want to get get us t-shirts with our logo on it 
Tom Harmer, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, <laughs> you sell me my boiling. You sell me my boiling blazer. Can you sell us some hoodies with our logo on it? Uh, well, anyway, it's been a joy, Amy. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for enlightening us and teaching us more about the Lord. And, and I hope our conversation was enlightening for all of you. That just engage with the difficult subjects and engage with uh, the call of the Lord. Right, the gospel call to go out and, and serve the nations without really asking what the cost is. So it's just been a joy. Love that. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again, guys, for having me on. Thank you, Amy. And thank you to your family for letting you uh, come and uh, spending some time with us. Appreciate it. Oh, I will pass it on. Bridget was not happy that I left. So I'll let her know that you thank her. Yeah, shout out to Bridget. <laughs> yeah. She's a faithful <laughs> listener. I think our the preschool crowd is really strong. That's what I've heard. <laughs> it is. The word on the street is kids love it. Uh, they think it's the movie School of Rock, and then boom, they're catechized. Blindsided. You've all, you've got some Jack Black vibes, Father. I appreciate that. That's the, the probably the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> well, all right. I'll see you guys later. All right. See ya. Yeah. Bye.